This episode is brought to you by Levitt Pavilion. This summer, check out one of my favorite outdoor concert venues in Denver, Levitt Pavilion. May through October, Levitt is offering ticketed and totally free all-ages concerts. I feel like we just go to anything that's free because it's like the kids can be at the show and it's people aren't weird about it and you can like bring a picnic. It's awesome. Some of the free shows this season include Iskali, Melvin Seals, War and Treaty, Sunny War, Chali Tuna, and more. To RSVP for free shows and buy tickets, plus see the full concert schedule, go to levittdenver.org. That's levittdenver.org. Hey Denver, it's Bree. Before we start the show, I want to ask you a favor. It's a new year, and we've been working on a lot of great stories about you, our community. But the thing is, we need more of you to join us every morning. You, our listeners, are crucial to this show's success. So I want to ask you a favor. Can you tell like five friends about CityCast Denver? Tell the podcast nerds in your life and also tell the friends who have never listened to a podcast before. Tell anyone you know to listen on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or really anywhere you get your podcasts. We appreciate you. Thanks for being here. Today on CityCast Denver. Brittany Pedersen has served the people of Lakewood as a state senator for 10 years, and lately she's had her eye on higher office. So when longtime Congressman Ed Perlmutter said that he's retiring after this current term, it was a no-brainer for Pedersen to announce her candidacy to replace him. Let's just, we're just going to do a quick sound test on our end, okay? Close to the mic, say, hi, I'm Brittany, blah, blah, blah. She announced it on Twitter yesterday morning, about an hour before we were scheduled to talk about something else entirely. Which means I might have been the first person to hear her say this. Hi, I'm Brittany Pedersen, congressional candidate for CD7, and I am exhausted. <laughs> Today is Wednesday, January 12th, 2022. I'm Bree Davies, and this is CityCast Denver. Well, Senator Brittany Pedersen, welcome to CityCast Denver. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. So we actually booked this interview last week, and we're planning to talk to you about something else entirely. But then this morning, you announced that you were running for Congress in the new 7th District. Can you tell me about why you made that decision that you wanted to run? Absolutely. And yes, you must have very good timing because I did just <laughs> announce this morning. <laughs> so uh, why I'm running for Congress is we need people who are going to be in Washington, who are going to fight for regular people to make their lives better. Um, I think that Congressman Ed Perlmutter exemplified that. He focused on the real work and on his community, not partisan rhetoric and, and headlines. And that is the type of leadership that I hope to model in Washington. And when you say real work, what are you what are you alluding to? What do you feel like um, that Ed Perlmutter did that you would like to build on? <sighs> That's probably a big question. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, it's a really good question. Uh, I think that everybody feels exhausted by the politics in the partisanship in Washington, and Ed Perlmutter has never been one for 
the quick sound bites, the quick headlines. Uh, he's not one to stay in Washington to get those Sunday interviews uh, for national press. He is really focused on doing the behind the scenes work to solve problems that are affecting people's lives every day. Uh, he always comes back to his community where his family lives. He is incredibly accessible. Uh, so he is deeply rooted in this community. Uh, and I think that that is essential for people who are going to Washington. Um, never forgetting why they started running in the first place and why they're there. Is there any particular issue um, that you are like really looking to work on or, or something that you want to do with this potential new role? Absolutely. There is a long list of things that I am thrilled at the opportunity to work on at the federal level. I think that some of the most meaningful work that I've done at the state capitol here, even though I've worked on a wide variety of issues, has really been on in the behavioral health space, just because people with substance use disorders and mental health issues are always left behind. And that is largely due to the stigma associated with those. And so I've been able to be an advocate, having come from a background, a a family member who has struggled with addiction for decades, um, to really be that voice to change our fractured behavioral health system. So last week, I actually spoke with investigative reporter Susan Green about her work to figure out why Colorado's mental health safety net is so broken. And um, I I know that you've been on a task force, you've been chairing a task force responsible for reforming that very system that you're talking about with behavioral and mental health issues. What is, um, what's going on with the task force? So we just concluded the task force we met over the last five months to look at how we were going to dedicate this once in a lifetime opportunity for investment of $450 million to transform our behavioral health system. But it's not only just here's some funding, you know, keep everyone afloat, uh, and and then we're going to go back to our failed system. We really looked at policy solutions as well, so that we're utilizing these one-time dollars in the best way possible to impact long-term change. And one of the recommendations, and I want to thank uh, Susan for her article because it really brought some opportunities for me on some of the payer system reforms that I was advocating for, where I was not getting the support that I was hoping to. And her article uh, really highlighted the need for that. Now, of course, this is not every CMHC in Colorado, the community mental health centers. There are people doing incredible work who are dedicated and saving lives. So I really want to make sure that we highlight that. But it does, it, it did bring the opportunity to, to transform the way in which we fund our system and how we streamline where, where that funding is going and making sure that we're, fun, that we're focusing on supporting that continuum of care. Mental health and, and substance use disorder issues, these are unique problems that really need the dedicated continuum of care services in order for people to live in recovery, and, and and ultimately to be in a much better, healthier spot. And we have not been doing that in Colorado. Yeah, and I think a big part of that is what you're talking about, this continuum of care, because recovery is not, I mean, you don't just recover. It's a long process. I mean, 
I'm 15 years sober and a huge part of that is the fact that I've had consistent safe housing, consistent access to healthcare. But I want to go back to that 450 million that you mentioned which is from the American Rescue Plan. And I'm sure that money is helpful. But Susan's reporting really highlighted some specific issues with the way our funding system works. And I'm thinking specifically about the non-compete contracts the state has been giving to these community health centers. What do you think about that? Reform is absolutely necessary in terms of expanding our, our safety net and recognizing the critical role that our community health centers play in that. Uh, and one of the recommendations that came out that ultimately, I think, because of Susan's article we were able to to bring additional support on was to make sure that we don't have this fractured system where we're funding our mental health services separately from our SUD services, separately from our crisis services. I mean, we have, and this is kind of reflective of, you know, when we, when you have term limits, when you have people coming in with new ideas that are piling on instead of looking at kind of those structural changes that are needed and making sure that we're streamlining those processes. This is exactly what happens. We have this, this broken, fractured system This is that doesn't support that continuum of care necessary. And the CMHCs are an important piece of our safety net, but we need to make sure that when we combine all of our dollars to focus on that continuum of care, that we're looking at additional providers that can provide that can give those additional supports. That is going to completely transform the way in which money moves and helps support people and doesn't just go to organizations. And I just want to clarify because you mentioned SUDs, uh, which is substance use disorder, right? Yes, thank you. I At the Capitol, okay, we're so we used to like so many acronyms and, and you forget that, that it, yeah. But you make a great point that this is all one big picture. Like we need to look at it as mental health, behavioral health issues, as well as substance use disorders. Those things are all intertwined. And right now they're not necessarily being treated as something that needs to be looked at in a bigger picture. Absolutely. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board, because the wine community here is like surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone, and there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade, hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. So we initially reached out to you because you were one of the main sponsors of the red flag law, which was supposed to help law enforcement identify potential mass shooters. And you also live and represent Lakewood, where the perpetrator of the mass shooting late last month was shot and killed in Belmar. Um, I want to talk to you about the red flag law in a second. But can you just tell me about how the past few weeks have been for you and your, I mean, our community? Absolutely. It's it's tragic. It was terrifying. It was right around the corner from 
where I was with my two-year-old son. And it has become far too common that we we see it in the headlines consistently, and even sometimes it is right across the street. And I, th- I think that the disheartening and devastating piece is knowing that we had passed this law and if it was actually utilized in this scenario, which it should have been, we could have saved these lives. And for folks that aren't familiar, maybe, I mean, I have to be honest, I didn't know a ton about the red flag law until this last shooting, unfortunately. But can you explain sort of um, what it is and, and how it works in practice? Yeah, so the extreme risk protection order is, it sets a very high standard for taking somebody's weapon away. It's actually a higher standard than taking somebody's kid away. So that is, you know, it was unfortunate that we didn't get um, the bipartisan support that we were looking for here because these are people who are, uh, who we know are a threat, who are vocally talking about the things that they are going to do to hurt people, um, who have access to weapons, and that is known that there is a process in place where you can go through the court and actually file a petition and go through the the process of revoking their weapons. So it is a very high threshold in order to ultimately take somebody's weapon away. Why do you think the red flag law or ERPO did not help in the December shooting? I mean, I'm thinking about it, and this man had been on law enforcement's radar for like a year. He had written about the crimes he wanted to commit, and he named the people he planned to target. It seems like the perfect example of when this law would be used. So I'm I'm kind of wondering what went wrong. Well, I want to recognize that this is this law has only been in place for a couple of years. And we need to make sure that our police departments have that they have a pro, a specific process in place on what they are going to do when somebody like this is a danger that they know is at risk uh, for our community and what they're going to do to enact and enforce the ERPO law. I also want to highlight that while we missed this opportunity, and it is tragic, and I can only imagine what the loved ones of the victims uh, are, are going through, the ERPO law has already been incredibly successful when it has been utilized. And we need public awareness. If you, you know, oftentimes it's going to be a loved one or or our police officers who are going to know the people who are at risk. And so we really need to bring additional resources for a public awareness campaign around the ERPA law. So this law is interesting in that um, it allows folks to say, I'm, I'm witnessing something in someone or I'm, they're putting out signs, whether that's through their art or writing or whatever, or what they say or what they do that I'm concerned about them. And so you're saying that maybe in this particular instance, um, there just weren't the resources for law enforcement to know or to have to deal with this particular gentleman. Well, I think it's about dedicating resources for training and support so that law enforcement officers are, you know, know about the law, when they should use it, what exactly their department is recommending when someone like that is flagged for them. So supporting that process and training, and then ultimately bringing that public awareness campaign and information, because 
oftentimes it's going to be a loved one that identifies that sooner, that somebody is a risk to our community and can report that and actually start going through that process. But if they don't know that the law exists, they're not going to know where to begin. Senator Brittany Patterson, thank you so much for joining me this morning. I appreciate it. Yes. No, I'm so grateful that you're having me and um, thanks for the conversation. State Senator Pedersen has got a long campaign ahead of her before the election in November. She already has two Republicans lined up against her in the general, and the newly redrawn 7th district includes a few rural mountain counties, so it could be a competitive race, especially on the issue of guns. And that makes the impact of the red flag law that much more interesting. In its first full year of implementation, which was 2020, there were about 100 instances where a court said firearms were to be taken away from a gun owner for some amount of time. It has protected a responsible gun owner's right to have their gun, uh, while also making sure that we are keeping guns out of the hands of people who are a risk to our community. And here's what else is happening in Denver today. On Monday night, Denver City Council approved another billion dollars worth of contracts to hopefully finish up DIA's latest arts and crafts project. I mean, remodel. The Denver Post reports that the overbudgeted, unfinished, mismanaged, and past its deadline renovation is now in the multi-billions. There better be a roller coaster in there by the time it's finished. In grim news, Colorado recently surpassed 1 million COVID cases. According to Colorado Public Radio, more than 52,000 Colorado residents have been hospitalized and over 10,000 have died. Getting vaccinated is still an option, and let me tell you, I got vaccinated and I got COVID, but I didn't end up in the hospital, unlike my friend who was unvaccinated and was on a ventilator for two weeks. It's not too late to get the vaccine. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell a friend about us, rate the show wherever you get your podcasts, and subscribe to our morning newsletter. Seriously, please, it would be awesome. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. See you later. I'm fine. If I pass out while I'm recording, just wait and I'll wake up. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>